I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. And our subject this morning is work. We're considering work that is not in vain, work that endures. Meaningful work, legacy work, work that can never fail. Many of us will remember Paul and Emily Clark. Paul led the Sunday morning congregation here for a number of years and now serves at St. Andrew's Free Church in Scotland. Their home in St. Andrew's is built into a hill and the garden is on a considerable slope. Therefore, from their upstairs window, without appearing nosy, one can have a fine view of the neighbors next door. And next door has all the structure of what once must have been a magnificent horticultural masterpiece. A greenhouse, a beautiful garden fence, various unusual trees, a wall sectioning part of it. And so I asked Paul about his next door neighbors. The owner had been something of a big shot in the biology department in St. Andrew's University a big noise. His garden had been his pride and joy. But the garden was built into a slope, and as he grew older, he grew less mobile. And as he grew less mobile, so he was less able. And now the greenhouse had panes of glass broken and missing. The gate in the fence had one hinge missing it, almost blew open and shut in the breeze. Panels of the fence were absent. Ivy choked the magnificent specimens that he had collected. Our subject this morning is work. The young on arrival here in London look to do something meaningful. They want to make a difference. The old approaching retirement seek to leave a legacy. Purposeful work, that is work investing, worth investing our energy in, is something human beings seem to crave. It's surprising if you think that we're just here by chance. And yet following retirement comes frailty, and with frailty 
comes increasing inability and ultimately the brambles take hold. Repair is no longer possible. When I arrived to serve at St. Helens back in 1995, there was a visible testimony to futility right next to us. The Baltic Exchange lay in ruins. Well, this morning we're going to look at just one verse, the famous 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. And I want us to see that in this broken and decaying world, subject as it is, to perishability. There is work worth doing. This work is never in vain. However small or insignificant our part in this work, it will always be meaningful, never futile. Engage in this work, it endures forever. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Three simple points. What is the work of the Lord? Why is the work of the Lord worth doing? How should I engage in the work of the Lord? But before we get going, why this one verse on bank holiday weekend? Well, I confess, in part, selfishly, my own return from the West Country, I find I need to be reminded of the key importance of the work that God has engaged us in here in the city. Somebody who knew I was preaching on this passage this Sunday left a note on my desk. If you're reading this, you must be persuaded that 1 Corinthians 15:58 is true. Also in part because there is some confusion about this work of the Lord. There are an increasing number of suggestions that pretty much anything that I do if I'm Christian is the work of the Lord caring for the environment, engaging in social justice, doing whatever job it is that I do to put food on the table and the roof over our head is the work of the Lord if I'm Christian. Third, because at this stage of the year, with many arriving in London, wanting to engage in meaningful work, well, not a bad subject for us to take for bank holiday Sunday. What is the work of the Lord? Paul writes, therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Here we shall see that the work of the Lord is gospel work. It has to do with living out a life of gospel commitment in service of the Christian good news. It has to do with speaking the good news of Jesus to those around us. It has to do with the building up of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, serving our Christian brothers and sisters. This term, the work of the Lord, is used by Paul in this particular letter and across his writing in general to refer particularly and specifically 
to the work of speaking for Jesus, shaping our life decisions in such a way that others will hear of Jesus and be drawn to follow Jesus, and lovingly serving Christian brothers and sisters by using whatever gifts God has given us to build others up in their holy faith. Turn, if you would, to page 1148, page 1148, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. So you can see here that Paul sees himself as a fellow worker with the Lord. That is quite a responsibility and quite some privilege that the work Paul and Apollos are engaged in is the work of sowing the good news of Jesus Christ. We are God's fellow workers, he says. He who plants, he who waters are one. Each receives his wages. That the work will be rewarded. And Paul anticipates others engaging in that work and others being rewarded for engaging in that work. So verses 12 through 14, look at verse 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. So the work of the Lord is planting the seed of God's word, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the work of the Lord is building on the foundation of the Lord Jesus, his death and resurrection, serving the church, giving yourself to the service of the saints. Glance forward to chapter 9 and verse 1. Chapter 9 and verse 1. Paul is urging the Corinthians to direct their life decisions in selfless service of unbelievers. He refers to those with whom he has shared the good news of Jesus and for whom he himself has given up his own freedoms and comforts so that they might be built up in Jesus Christ. And in the middle of the verse there, you can see he says, are not you my workmanship in the Lord? We find the same understanding of the work of the Lord in chapter 15 and verse 10. We're homing in a little now in our survey of this term, the work of the Lord, chapter 15 and verse 10, where Paul writes... 15.10, by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, 
though it was not I but the grace of God that was in me. He's referring to his own work again. And his work is the proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. It's gospel work. He worked harder than any. Turn over one more page to chapter 16 and verse 10. Here in chapter 16, verse 10, Paul describes Timothy, a fellow worker with Paul. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way. And then chapter 16 and verses 15 and 16, I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints, be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. (laughs) What then is the work of the Lord that is not in vain? For the Apostle Paul, the work of the Lord is the work that he's been doing. For the Apostle Paul, this work is not restricted simply to himself. The work of the Lord is the work that others also do as they walk in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. (laughs) The work of the Lord is done by Apollos. The work of the Lord is done by Timothy. The work of the Lord is done by Stephanus and by those of Stephanus' household. You picture now Stephanus' household with all his household servants, his uncles and aunties. Mum and dad, children, all engaged in the service of the saints, they are working for the Lord. They're engaged in the work of the Lord. And so the work of the Lord involves speaking the good news of Jesus. Paul gave himself to the Corinthians. They are his workmanship. Paul spoke the gospel and built up the church. He was doing the work of the Lord. Paul proclaimed the resurrection. He worked harder than any. Timothy was an apostolic messenger speaking the good news of the gospel. He did the work of the Lord, and Stephanus and his uncles and aunties, mum and dad, children and household servants were engaged in the work of the Lord. Gospel work, speaking the gospel, building up the church. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord... Your labor is not in vain. Now, of course, we all have other work to do. The stuff we do to make sure we can put a roof over our head and food on the table. And Paul speaks about that kind of work in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 6, and also when he writes to the Colossians in chapters 3 and 4 of that letter. Uh, When we do that other work... We're to work at it as unto the Lord, not simply with our eye on the boss, with integrity and diligence. It's dignified. God has given us this work to do, work in this creation that is perishing, that has purpose and point to it, as we seek to serve our fellow men and women. And as we engage in that work in a way that is godly, the Lord Jesus recognizes our godliness and service of him in the workplace. But the work of the Lord, why, it's, it's almost a technical term used by the Apostle Paul to describe very specifically the work of speaking the good news of Jesus and building up the church. And the whole church is to be engaged in it, this work of the Lord. And the work of the Lord is not in vain. 
Now, on your handout, I've printed out two technical, the reference link through to two technical articles by Peter Orr. Peter used to be on the staff here way back in the Dark Ages. He now lectures in New Testament at Moore College in Australia, and he's written two articles that, though very technical, are thoroughly readable. And if you're interested in following this through, I suggest you start with the first one, and if you can manage that, then move on to the next. But the work of the Lord is work that involves speaking of the crucified and risen Lord Jesus. And the work of the Lord is the work of serving the saints, building up the church. And the work of the Lord is the work of living selflessly and sacrificially, making key life decisions that will be costly to us personally, with the result that our neighbors will hear the good news of the Lord Jesus, or somebody in a completely different country will hear the good news of the Lord Jesus. That is the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord is lovingly using whatever gifts the Lord has given me in the church in service of the saints. And as we engage in the work of the Lord, he watches our work. And as we conduct his work in the way he wants us to conduct it, he rewards our work. And the work of the Lord is tested by fire. And the work that is conducted in this way will stand to eternity. Now, it's the time of year when many are arriving in London. Perhaps this is your first Sunday in London. You want to engage in meaningful work. Some of us approaching retirement, we, we want to have some sort of legacy work. Well, the work of the Lord will ensure meaningful work, legacy work. I think of our mission partners, Ruth, who we were just praying for, engaged in the work of the Lord that will stand forever. I think of uh, Joelle or Chris and Sophie DeVitt or any others who we've sent overseas and who we pray for regularly engaged in the work of the Lord. At the same time, I think of James working at Rothschilds, set up a prayer group in that company to pray for the work of the Lord, cracking on with whatever work he's doing to feed his face and to keep a roof over his and his wife's head, but actually engaged in the work of the Lord. I think of Hannah, of uh, people involved. We were praying for Little Pickles on Friday in the church prayer calendar. Those involved in Little Pickles over the road on a Friday morning, making sure that people hear the good news of Jesus, the work of the Lord. This is the work of the Lord. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why is it worth doing the work of the Lord. Why is it worth it? What makes the work of the Lord difference? Well, having put the verse in its context in the whole letter, this is where I want us to begin to drill down into chapter 15. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians begins with an exposition of the cross of Christ and the nature of the work of the Lord. It finishes with an exposition of the resurrection of Christ, chapter 15, and the value of the work of the Lord. Chapters 1 to 4, the cross. Chapter 15, the resurrection. It is, of course, chapter 15 about the resurrection of Jesus. But much of it is about the resurrection of believers. It begins with the resurrection of Jesus, with evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus has conquered death. And Paul's point is that the resurrection of Jesus is not a kind of soul event, 
It's a fulcrum event. Everything hinges on it. But it doesn't stand alone. No, the resurrection of Jesus guarantees the final resurrection of all believers. The chain of events set in motion by the resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate resurrection of all of his people. Those who've placed their trust in Jesus, all will be raised with new bodies fitted for a new creation, which Jesus, as the first fruits of this new creation, with his resurrection from the grave, guarantees for us. If you like, the resurrection of Jesus is the lighting of the fuse. If you like, the resurrection of Jesus is the turning of the tide. Before the death and resurrection of Jesus, death reigned. Perishability was the order of the day. But with the death and resurrection of Jesus, why we have this turning of the tide. Death has been swallowed up in victory. There is now a resurrection age. And those who put their trust in Jesus are part of this age. With the resurrection of Jesus has come the first fruits of the new creation. Well, down in the West Country, it's been harvest time, a very early harvest. Ah, Because there was a lot of rain in May and June, July and August has been time for great celebration. One local farmer, don't believe what farmers say to you publicly, oh, it's never been so bad. One local farmer actually said to me, in all my 40 years of farming, we've never had a harvest so good. He actually said that, a farmer said that. Harvest has been brought in. We have a big fig tree in the garden down in the West Country. And you know that if there are lots of figs of the right size, the day the first fig comes in, there is going to be a bumper harvest. The first fruits, fig ice cream, fig chutney, fig and goat's cheese quiche, fig jam, figs on their own, not too many. It has fairly disastrous effects. One of the church wardens came to visit on his way further west, and we sent him away with an armful of figs together with a suitable health warming, and we got a text the next day, figs poached in red wine. Well, there's something we hadn't tried. But you see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave, the resurrection age has begun. Those who now trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, death ultimately has been conquered. And on the last day, well, a mystery, we shall not all sleep, we shall be changed in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed, because death is swallowed up in victory through the resurrection of Jesus. And the death of Jesus has dealt with sin. Christ has risen victorious as the first fruits of a new creation. And so, why is the work of the Lord Jesus worth it? (laughs) Because the work of the Lord is everlasting. Because the work of the Lord is the work of the resurrection age. Because the work of the Lord is building for eternity. Because the work of the Lord is never impacted by the ravages of old age. Because the work of the Lord is not impacted by decay as a person hears of the Lord Jesus and puts their trust in the Lord Jesus. They themselves become part of this glorious resurrection age. So as you and I serve our Christian brothers and sisters sat alongside us today and give our lives to this work of the Lord, it is never, ever, ever in vain.
Jesus has died on the cross. He has risen. He has ascended. He reigns. He will return. And the work of the Lord, and it's not just any old thing that I turn up at 8.30 in the morning and stay at work till 8.30 at night. No, that's not the work of the Lord. It's work. The Lord is watching. The work of the Lord, it's speaking of Jesus. It's serving the saints. It's sharing the gospel. It's doing the work of building the church. A number of years ago, in our back garden, just south of London Bridge, oh, there are a range of trees there, and they were very tiresome. The garden happens to be south-facing, which is great for the sun. But they'd grown up, and so they blocked the sun. And so, together with a number of neighbors, my wife went to meet the local councillor. I remember seeing the meeting going on. All the most sort of high-powered ladies of the square were there with this local councillor, and my sympathy was entirely with the local councillor. And in due course, X's were put on certain trees that had been shading and so forth. And this was about January and come March, magpie started to build a nest in one of the trees with an X on it. And I thought, it's all in vain. It's futile. And more and more twigs were added and then you know, little eggs, I mean, I didn't go up there to see, but little eggs, no doubt, were laid, and then the little chirping, and the magpie was there raiding other birds' nests and taking out newly born chicks and feeding them to their babies and so forth, and then came the men with the chainsaws. All in vain. All futile. I see, work in this world, whatever it might be, in your company, in that hospital, ultimately, it's part of a decaying age. The way you do it, yes, the Lord sees, and, uh, and he will be pleased when we do it rightly, but that's not the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord is the work of the resurrection age. Speaking of Jesus, shaping life decisions for the sharing of the good news of Jesus such that others can hear of Jesus this is the work of the Lord. How then should we engage in it? Well, I'm very loath to be specific. Paul isn't. He points to himself as an example. He names Timothy as somebody engaged in the work of the Lord. He directs our example to Stephanus and to the members of Stephanus's household. So I take it that the congregation could look around and say, well, there's somebody engaged in the work of the Lord. I should imitate them. Uh, there's somebody else engaged in the work of the Lord. I should imitate them. Uh, there's somebody else who's been engaged in the work of the Lord for decades. I, I, I should imitate them. But you know, there are, what, 300 of us here? Each with our own personality, different opportunities, different contacts, different contexts. It'd be entirely wrong for me to say, oh, the work of the Lord for you is... But we're in to engage. Let's get now into the verse itself. Be steadfast. We're to engage steadfastly. This is about our faith. That is, steadfastly in, in a firmly seated way, in a way that is dug in, fixed in purpose, not shifting. Immovable, to engage into the work of the Lord immovably. Holding to the gospel that Paul proclaimed, is what 1 Corinthians has been all about. We're to engage in the work of the Lord, always abounding super abundantly. 
You think of a fountain reaching its brim. Think of Ashburnham outside the Orangery, those who go on the weekends away there, with it flooding over and dripping out. Engage in the work of the Lord super abundantly, knowledgeably, knowing that in the Lord, energetically, a, a different word for work, labor. It's the word for a manual laborer, stripped to the waist, digging a hole in the ground, bringing in the harvest, sweat pouring off them. Energetically, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor, it's not futile. It's part of the resurrection age. It stands to eternity. And my personal view is that this really is why the Corinthian letter was written. <laughs> Any number of views about the Corinthians and what their view of the spiritual and physical was, and personally, I don't find those very convincing. There's little emphasis on the phys physical, really, in 1 Corinthians 15, as you read it. Much more likely that we have this very young church in a profoundly pagan culture that is tempted to drift, be steadfast, tempted to shift, be immovable, tempted to cease, always abounding, tempted to think it's not worth it, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I think there's a strong case that every one of Paul's letters, perhaps barring one, are primarily missionary support letters. Here is one of them. He wants these Corinthians to be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Everything else ultimately is vanity. Do you want legacy work? You can do it. Do you want meaningful work? You can do it. So going to school in a few days' time, the start of a new term, oh, the school Christian union, get plugged in, you're engaged in the work of the Lord. It's not in vain. Uh, starting work in a new office, there's an office Christian union, uh, get plugged into it, turn up, start serving the lunchtime worker. It's the work of the Lord, it's not in vain. Uh, pray for our missionaries as we do day by day through the church prayer diary. Say your prayers for our missionaries. Oh, it's the work of the Lord, it's not in vain. Send them a note, a text, I'm praying for you, it's not in vain. Welcome people to church on a Sunday morning. Seek to encourage them, serve the saints. It's not in vain. Leading a small group, visiting an elderly church member who's housebound. Oh, it's not in vain, this service of the saints. Walk up evangelism as they do on the four o'clock and the six o'clock congregations. They go out to Spitalfields. They start sharing the gospel with complete strangers. Oh, it's not in vain. It's the work of the Lord. It stands forever. It's not in vain. Paul's aim is that we as a church family engage in the work of the Lord, steadfast, immovable, always abounding, knowing that our labor is not in vain. If you're reading this, here's the post-it note. If you're reading this, you must be persuaded that 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is true. Well, I hope that's true for you, that you are persuaded. And maybe in a few moments' time, as the service draws to a close, we might ask ourselves, one another, if we feel we know one another well enough, you know, what labor in the Lord are you engaged in? Let me lead us in prayer.
the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable. Thank you, our Father, in this decaying world, pock-marked by sin and decay, perishability, that the Lord Jesus has brought life and immortality to light. We thank you for his death and resurrection. We thank you for his reign. We long for his return. And we thank you for this extraordinary privilege that you offer to us to be fellow workers in a work that is not in vain. And we pray, our Father, that you would enable each and every one of us to see where our part is in this glorious labor. In Jesus' name, amen.